0: SFA for our 2021 Virtual Spring Symposium, scheduled March 13th through 14th, where we'll focus on environments and transformation through the medium of film. Filmmakers ask questions that connect Birmingham's Greek community and Choctaw Native peoples. Expect an archival surrealist dive into the lives of the women who powered the Underground Railroad Learn about Milwaukee as a terminus for the Great Migration. These questions begin in the South and span the world. John Cesory Goff, a multidisciplinary artist whose work explores the intersection of race, power, gender, identity, and the environment, curates this gathering, which will feature filmmakers Colleen Thurston, Jessica Kriesman, Devon Quest, smith among others. To learn more and purchase tickets, visit us at southernfoodways.org. I'm John T. Edge. And I'm Melissa Hall. We're your hosts for Gravy. Gravy.
1: Gravy. Gravy. A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells new and complicated stories about the changing American South.
0: Horchata is an expected item on the menu at your local taqueria, and it's now ubiquitous across the South, like sweet tea for the 21st century.
1: But it's more than just a quenching and soothing answer to fiery salsas. Horchata is a kind of liquid passkey.
0: It allows us to talk about colonization and empire from North Africa to Spain to Mexico. Adan Madrano sat down with John T. to explain and explore
2: what is Texas Mexican cuisine? Thank you for asking me that. It's a great way to begin. Normally, people want to know about Tex-Mex, and of course, Texas Mexican is not about Tex-Mex, although we all love the lava cheese and the (laughs) margaritas. Uh, Texas Mexican is a type of food that is cooked in Mexican-American families in southern Texas and northeastern Mexico. That area is a cohesive area and has been for 10,000 years. That's uh, 15,000 years ago is when the first people stepped on Texas soil. And those people are the ancestors of today's Mexican-American community, the indigenous community. And that's what Texas Mexican is. It's their food over time, how, how it has evolved. I use the term Texas Mexican not to refer to the countries that are Mexico and the United States where Texas is, but rather to the words, Texas meaning Tejano, it's the name ascribed to the original natives of Texas and Mexico, which is the machica, the original natives of of that region. Just to say one thing that food has nationality of course, but before it had nationality, it had roots in a landscape. And that's what Texas Mexican means, that this food had roots in this landscape of this region of southern Texas and northeastern Mexico for so many thousands of years. And we should treasure it. What story does a drink like orchada tell us? Uh, The drink horchada, to me when I drink, it tells a story of celebrating our relations because the various horchata recipes that exist in Texas and Mexico come from all parts of the world. The original one, which arrived when Spain came to Mexico, was made with uh, almonds. And those, of course, are from Iran originally. And then we also have rice that is the way we make it. There are recipes in Mexican cookbooks that actually use the seeds of watermelons and melons. So horchata is about seeds that engender other foods. You know, the the sandia comes from Africa, almonds from Iran, the squash, seeds of squash are used, come from Mexico. So in one drink, you've got global uh, identities. When I drink horchata, I see the many uh, incarnations that it has, it's a refreshing drink. And uh, that's what it means to me, to all of our relations.
3: All food is diasporic. That's what food historian Rachel Loudon said to me the first time we spoke, and it stopped me in my tracks. Since that phone call with Rachel, I've done a deep dive into food migrations around the world, and when I sat down to interview her a second time, she was more than happy to elaborate.
4: I have come to the conclusion that cuisines have moved from centers of origin out across First of all, all Eurasia or all the Americas, and more recently, in the last uh, four or five hundred years, globally, and that there really is nowhere in the world that is not the recipient of the beneficiary of diasporas that have brought new cuisines with them.
3: When settlers bring their cuisine to a new place, it pushes the community that was already there to adapt. Often what begins as a diaspora morphs into colonization. When that happens, the food transforms. For Rachel, Agua Fresca is a prime example, a sweet drink made from fruits, grains, seeds, or flowers that's popular in Mexico, parts of Central America, and now throughout the United States, wherever there's a strong Latin American enclave. Adon Medrano grew up drinking agua fresca in South Texas. His mother was his first and foremost culinary influence.
2: Through the recipes that my mom made that she had received from her grandmother, great grandmother, and other connections, we were able to narrate our identity because the way we ate is really the way that uh, I remember my childhood, and that's core to my identity.
3: Adan's family spent the summers doing migrant farm work in the Rio Grande Valley, where there was no air conditioning to cool off. Back at home, his mother would make agua fresca from cucumbers.
2: We used to pick cotton in Robstown, Texas, during the summers. It was very hot. Uh, farm work and picking cotton is uh, is horrible. We wore cotton gloves to protect our hands from the from the spines of the cotton bowl, but even though we did that, we still bloodied our hands. So it's it's arduous work. And uh, for lunchtime, uh, we would sit or lie under the truck so that we could be out of the hot sun. And I remember this wonderful memory of uh, my mom handing me a uh, fresh uh, cucumber. And the cucumber was uh, juicy and so refreshing. And I still feel it in my mouth. And It doesn't just refresh and hydrate your mouth, but it just gives you a cleansing and feel. And so I remember that as as a wonderful way that a fruit like a cucumber can refresh you.
3: Horchata is a creamy agua fresca blended with cinnamon that most people associate with Spanish or Mexican cuisine. As part of her research, Rachel Loudon has compiled 52 recipes for Agua Fresca, and half a dozen or so are variations on horchata.
4: Horchata is one of my favorite subjects. Horchata comes, believe it or not, from the Latin word for barley, and in many ways, I think it's one of the most ancient drinks we have. Um, You can find it in any market in Mexico. It's a street food in Mexico. It's everywhere.
3: The basic practice of combining ground barley with water dates back to the earliest forms of agriculture.
4: Way back when, I think probably fairly soon after people began farming barley and wheat, one of the things they did with the grains was to grind them up Mix the flour and the water for a cooling but strengthening drink to have in the hot summers. And you find traces of them in Greece and in Rome. Um, They're there in the Middle East, and they are really, truly an ancient drink.
3: When Rachel was living in Mexico, she started to make a connection between horchata and the Islamic world. In the Middle Ages, the Islamic Empire stretched from present-day Iraq into North Africa, Sicily, and the Iberian Peninsula. The Islamic conquest of Spain lasted from the 8th century to 1492. When Spanish colonizers crossed the Atlantic, they transported orchata with them. Here's a Don Medrano.
2: Orchata comes to Texas and Mexico when uh, the lands are invaded by the Spanish and uh, conquest begins. In Texas, our lands are taken away. Uh, the disease that arrives with the Spaniards kills 90% of our people, sometimes within days. I am a Coahuiltecan native. Uh, most Mexican-Americans who live in the state of Texas and in northeastern Mexico. The fact is that northeastern Mexico and south-central Texas traditionally and historically have been one region. And uh, when the Spaniards arrive, that's when Orchata arrives. Because... The Spanish arrive with their food, which has been uh, influenced by by the Arab nations and by Africa.
3: In Spain, the full name of horchata is horchata de chufa. Chufa is the tiger nut, which links horchata to northern Nigeria. Particularly in the northern part and now all over Nigeria,
4: they make this same drink. Because, after all, um, northern Nigeria is part of the same Islamic world.
3: In Nigeria, orchata is made from tiger nuts, and it's called kunu aya. The tiger nut isn't actually a nut at all. It's a tuber in the sedge family of crops, and it's common throughout the eastern hemisphere. Ozoz Soko is an Ontario-based food writer who hails from southern Nigeria. So she didn't grow up with the drink. But she's researched the Kunu Aya diaspora since moving away from home.
5: Kunu Aya is a Hausa phrase for tiger knot drink. And I was really fascinated by this really milky, delicious drink that had notes of vanilla, cinnamon, and spice, and yet came from a tuber that was extremely cheap to buy and was dairy free. It is interesting to hear and to learn and read about that culinary connection between Spain and Mexico and Nigeria.
3: As Adon Medrano mentioned before, the Kunu Aya and Horchata diaspora is inextricably linked to colonization.
2: Of course, it arrives at a time of terrible dispossession and violence. And we dealt with Horchata, as it is now a, a wonderful drink, we deal with it the way we dealt with everything else. And that is, it may be a diaspora to the Spaniards who arrived, but it is not diaspora to us. To us, it is a drink which we, grounded in our own landscape, take this addition of this ingredient and create a dish that is ours. And this is how we make sense of the invasion. We're out of dispossession and need, we create beauty and deliciousness. And we do it in a way that will lead us to a new encounter. We don't want to do what the Spanish did to this land. We don't want to say it is now our turn to take over and to be in charge. What we want to say is an encounter need not be the eradication of the other.
3: The tension underlying the topic of diaspora surprised me, but it probably shouldn't have. Food is deeply personal and innately political. There are power dynamics embedded within this conversation about horchata.
2: When we look at the word diaspora, that's a European uh, and uh, immigrant word and reality and mindset. We as uh, Native Americans don't have that. The idea that we feel grounded and have a way of accepting foreign ingredients is the Native American way, and that's the Mexican-American community of Texas and how it is today. So I would say that when we make horchata, we are narrating our history. What we did here in Texas is we simply added rice to a drink that we already had because the Native Americans, the Pahuiltecans, my ancestors, would take the mesquite bean, the mesquite pod from the tree, and grind it in, in, in a hole in the ground and make a drink out of it
3: these recipes are still shape-shifting today. Marlon Mendoza is a coffee roaster based in Houston. Her company is called Amanacer. Marlon created her own bottled version of horchata and combined it with cold brew coffee.
6: Horchata cold brew is a drink that a lot of people do, um, but the one that I like to do, it has uh, a little bit of a different twist. It's more of... um, it, it has an oat milk base as opposed to a rice milk. With the base, I like to cut it with concentrated cold brew that is steeped for about 48 hours. Typically, I like to use a coffee from, from Mexico because I like the notes that Mexican coffees give out, and it pairs really well with the horchata base.
3: These days, oat milk is wildly popular as a dairy alternative. When I spoke to Rachel Loudon, she remarked that orchato was way ahead of its time, that we can think of it as an ancient precursor to drinks like almond milk and oat milk. For Marlin, orchato cold brew is the perfect intersection of her own coffee and a favorite agua fresca from her childhood.
6: It was just like a summer drink. My mom knows how to make it. Like all of my family knows how to make it. It was just something we constantly had. At the house or at parties, so it's a very like reminiscent flavor, really nostalgic.
3: Marlin's nostalgia gets at a deeper emotion that Adon Madrano and Azose Soco both echoed. After talking to Marlin, I decided to try out my own recipe. I used rice milk like Adon Madrano does, and added vanilla like Rachel Loudon does in her Agua Fresca Number no. Nine recipe. Then I topped it off with a splash of cold brew. As I record this, my quest to find tiger nuts at local grocery stores still goes unrequited. I can see now why it's easy to go down a rabbit hole with orchata.
1: When we come back, Sarah emerges from the orchata rabbit hole and digs into the relationship between the orchata and the borderlands that connect Mexico and the U.S.
7: Do you seek adventure and love to cook over an open fire? There are few things in life that compare to cooking outside or pulling food off the grill with the perfect sear. For your next outdoor grilling experience, choose Lodge Cast Iron for delicious results that impress every palate. First day of summer? Lodge has a brand new two-piece portable grill for your backyard barbecue. Is it game day? Lodge's dual handle pans fit perfectly on the grill. Dinner party? Try Lodge's brand new grill topper For perfectly seared vegetables, Lodge has the cast iron you need to celebrate each and every occasion. Crafted in America with iron and oil, Lodge's full grilling line is ready to help you bring dishes to life under blue skies, beneath the stars, next to winding rivers, or tucked beside towering mountains. Visit lodgecastiron.com to see their new outdoor grilling line. For improving our outdoor cooking skills and supporting this podcast,
3: we thank them. Adon Medrano compiled several food stories for a book and documentary called Truly Texas Mexican. Adon believes the through line of Texas Mexican food is one that transcends borders.
2: The reason that there is a demarcation geopolitically is because of oppression and colonization. And we're living with that, of course. But if you take a broader view of what is really happening on the ground, what is happening with the food, what is happening with the trees, the landscape, If you take a look at food in that way, it offers you a different view and you have to really call into question the European categories that give us things like nations and and diaspora.
3: As he was working on Truly Texas Mexican, Adon met an artist from the Rio Grande Valley named Celeste de Luna. Her woodcut prints examine the relationship between borderland peoples and their landscape. Celeste sees cuisine as another way that culture transcends politically imposed borders. It's like, they want to layer the border, the border on top of the food,
8: and I don't know if it can be done. You know, it's so permanent. Food is so permanent and so, you know, lasting. And then this other thing is not so permanent and lasting.
3: That's how I think of it. Celeste told me that people from outside the borderlands don't always understand what makes this region distinct from the rest of the U.S.
8: Well, I always think that you have to make decisions in in a border space about how you're going to interact. For certain people, you take risks. If you're an undocumented person, you're taking more risks. Um, If you're a woman... If you're a darker-skinned woman, you, you take risks. It's a space that's very different than the interior of the United States, and people don't always realize that. If you haven't been to a border space, you might not realize that.
3: Rachel Loudon conceives of food history within a diasporic framework, and she agrees that borders are socially constructed as well. Our modern
4: geopolitical boundaries are very recent. And whether it's food or religion or dance or music, um, all of these have long histories that do not map onto contemporary boundaries.
3: It's this idea that food can transcend boundaries that originally inspired Azos Soko to begin writing about food too, back when she began living a diasporic life in the Netherlands.
5: In many of the ways that we are similar as human beings, in spite of our apparent differences. And looking at things like tiger nuts and seeing the different expressions across the world is just the perfect demonstration of that. Food is a very powerful tool and it gives me a lot of comfort wherever I am.
3: While Azoz lives thousands of miles away from her home country of Nigeria, Adon is a food scholar living and working in a land his ancestors have inhabited for thousands of years.
2: I am cooking in my ancestral lands. And every time that I cook, I realize and I am aware that the techniques that I use, baking, roasting, a mortar pestle, and the technologies that I use were created and invented thousands of years ago by culinarians. The archaeological evidence in Texas takes you back 20,000 years to the original inhabitants, my ancestors. And so when I say that my mother's kitchen is my compass, it connects me with a living line of cooks all of these millennia.
3: In this way, terroir, or the way the natural environment influences how our food and drinks taste, should be central to any discussion of indigenous foodways.
2: I think so. It's it's very corporeal. And any of these... Uh, dishes, whether it's an agua fresca or any of the other dishes that I cook or that we all cook, I always feel that it arises from the landscape. It arises from the land and your connection to the land. And that embodied sense is what food is all about. So it's always tied to landscape and to land.
3: For Celeste de Luna, her relationship to the land politicizes the food she makes. Food and land rights are bound together.
8: I have a very
3: strong opinion that, you know,
8: the indigenous people of this continent should have certain rights to be able to migrate on the North American continent. I think the food here is also connected to that idea.
3: Agua Fresca translates to refreshing water, and that language speaks to what the drink means in the arid and subtropical borderlands. It's an antidote to the long, hot summer months in the Rio Grande Valley. Kunu Aya serves the same purpose in northern Nigeria. Whether it's made from barley, rice, oats, or tiger nuts, this drink connects people to their landscape. Adon Madrano sums things up well. Diasporic or not, terroir elevates Agua Fresca to art.
2: Well, we're talking about aguas fresca. So let's take a talk about water. Water flavored with the fruits of the land, with the nuts of the land, with the grains of the land. That's what agua fresca is, and every culture does it. And if we think about that, that drinking is not just to, to hydrate us, but in the hands of culinarians, in the hands of people, drinking becomes also an artistic event. It becomes an artistic practice where we don't drink just, to live and hydrate. It's not important that we survive. It's important how we choose to survive and we choose to do so with beauty.
0: Sarah Holtz produced this episode. We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music, Jazar for our donor music.
1: Fact checkers on the case today were our Natalie Dupree graduate fellows, Bethany Fitz and Catherine Jesse. We thank them.
0: Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is Sarah Camp Milam. Mary Beth Lassiter serves as our publisher. Huzzah! Visit us at southernfoodways.org to watch our Ruth Fertel, Keeper of the Flame film about the life and work of Hanan Shabazz, the pride of Asheville, North Carolina.
1: While you're there, we'd be much obliged if you'd consider becoming a member or making a donation. Your dollars fund our work and help us make more gravy.
0: I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. Thanks for letting us pour some gravy in your ear.